Welcome back friends, Bill Creasy here with Scripture Uncovered. Now, when we left off, Jacob had to get out of Dodge fast. Jacob had deceived everybody. He had deceived his brother Esau, he had deceived his father, and he, oh my gosh, Esau was furious. Jacob stole his birthright. Well, it was a trick. I'll trade it for a bowl of lentil soup. That shouldn't have been taken seriously, but <laughs> Jacob took it seriously. So, what are we going to do? How do we save Jacob? Esau has vowed to kill him. So we put in a Genesis chapter 28, and let me read to you. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him and commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram to the house of your mother's father Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of people. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Padan Aram to Uncle Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Remember, Rebekah loved Jacob, Isaac loved Esau. Whenever you get a dysfunctional family like that, you are bound to have trouble. And I think I noted at the end of last lesson on Wednesday that Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to Padan Aram to take a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. So what is Esau going to do? Well, he's going to do exactly that. Esau realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac, so he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, sister of Nebaioth, and daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. So he is going to stick a Canaanite woman right into the face of his parents, of Rebekah and Isaac. Not a happy family, I can tell you that. Well, Jacob left Beersheba, and he set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. And he had a dream. Well, I have to tell you, I've been camping many a time. Uh, we climb big mountains. We climb Mount Kilimanjaro in, in Africa. And I can tell you, when you get in your sleeping bag and you lie down, you don't use a stone for your pillow. Use a stone for your pillow, and you're going to have dreams. Well, that's what Jacob did. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway, traditionally a ladder, resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. 
Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Blessed through that scoundrel Jacob. And I don't understand this, but God said, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So God is doing this for Jacob, not because Jacob is such a, a, an admirable fellow, because he's not, but God had made a promise to Abraham, a covenant, and he reinforced that covenant with Isaac. And now, by golly, he's going to make good on it. So when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Ooh, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place! Why, this is none other than the house of God. This is the very gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, the house of God. Beth, house, El, God. Though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, Now get this. Jacob had this extraordinary dream of the gateway of heaven, a ladder all the way up from that rock that he had his head on, clear to the very heavens itself, the gateway of heaven. So Jacob made a vow, and he said, Now, if God will be with me, and if he will watch over me on this journey that I'm taking, and if he will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, if he will do all this, then I'll allow him to be my God. <laughs> The Lord will be my God, and this stone I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all that you give me, I'll give you a tenth. You know, Lord, if you take care of me, and you keep me safe, and you get me to where I'm to go and bring me back again, and nothing happens to me, and I thrive, and if you do all this, I will allow you to be my God. And whatever wealth and riches I get, I'll give you a commission, 10%. Now, doesn't that sound just like Jacob? Well, it does to me. Now, I'd like to pause here for a moment and turn over to the gospel according to John. Now, let me go over there. I want to make sure I don't lose my page here. Let me turn over to the gospel according to John at chapter 1. beginning at verse 19. Now this was John's testimony, John the Baptist, when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. Then they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. Finally, they said, well then, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. 
Now, some Pharisees who had been sent question him. Well, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John replied, I baptize with water. But among you, in your midst, stands one you do not know. And I think at this point, he looked on the fringe of the crowd, saw his cousin Jesus there, winked at him, and Jesus winked back. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Well, all this happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Now, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, I myself did not know him. Well, clearly, John the Baptist knew Jesus. He was his cousin. But he didn't fully comprehend Jesus until the baptism, when the voice of God tore open the heavens and said, this is my son whom I love, and the Holy Spirit descended into him dramatically right there in the River Jordan. Then, and only then, did I fully comprehend who he was. And then he gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain, is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So I have seen and I testify that this, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary and Joseph, is the Son of God. Now, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Well, the two disciples are our apostle John and Peter's brother, Andrew, and they spend the day with Jesus. And then they go back and tell Peter, we've found the Messiah. All of that plays out here in John chapter 1. Now, the next day in verse 43 of John 1, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Jesus has an appointment up in Galilee, a wedding at Cana, and he's going to leave now. Now, finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. So when Jesus came to Jerusalem, he didn't come alone. He had people with him. He walked with a crowd of people, and Philip was one of them. And they had agreed that when the festival is over, they will all walk back together. So I imagine Philip was sitting in the lobby of the Hyatt Regency Hotel, and uh, Jesus said, uh, Philip, yo, time to go. So Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, north of the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, yo, time to go. <laughs> but he said, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael replied, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Now, I've often heard taught that Nazareth was just a little podunk town out in the middle of nowhere, which is true. Nazareth sits on the Finger Ridge in, a Je in the Jezreel Valley, a tiny little village of 
20 extended families at most, a couple of hundred people. Just a, a nothing town. But there's more to it. In the first century AD, in this land of Palestine, every radical movement, every revolutionary movement against the Roman Empire originated in Galilee. So when Philip says to Nathaniel, we've found the one that Moses wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel replied, can anything good come from there? In other words, don't get involved with anybody from up there. They are nothing but troublemakers. When Jesus later came to Jerusalem on Passover, Palm Sunday, and he entered the city, who's this, people might say? Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, one of those. A rebel rouser, a troublemaker. Have nothing to do with him. That's the, 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 the sense of, of Nathaniel's response. But Philip said, no, 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 come and see. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, now here is a true or genuine Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Now, what an odd thing to say. Imagine if I'm talking to you and another person came up and I said, now here is a genuine American in whom there is no deceit, nothing false, no guile. What an odd thing to say. But even odder, Nathaniel replied, how do you know me? I've never met you before. How do you know me? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. So Nathaniel had been sitting in the lobby of the Hyatt Regency with his bags packed, reading under the fig tree, a, a euphemism for I saw you sitting there reading under the fig tree in the shade, as it were. You were reading. And Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Now what an odd thing to say to him, unless Jesus saw Nathaniel reading. And what was Nathaniel reading? I'd suggest the story in Genesis about Jacob and the ladder that we just read. And he must have been thinking, Jacob, his very name means the deceiver. He is full of guile. Huh, why would God have chosen Jacob to be given that vision of the ladder extending up to heaven? What an odd choice on God's part. So as Nathaniel was thinking that, they bring Jesus to him. And Jesus said, now here is a genuine and authentic Israelite in whom there is no guile, no deceit, nothing false. Nathaniel's response, how do you know me? Jesus said, I saw you while you were reading and I knew what you were thinking. And if that's the case, Nathaniel said, then you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus said, now, unless you think I'm making this up, Jesus said, 
you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. I saw you reading. Well, you'll see greater things than that. And Jesus added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on me, the Son of Man. So Jesus knew exactly what Nathanael was thinking about the ladder up to heaven and the angels ascending and descending on it here in our story in Genesis. That's what strikes Nathanael. That's what tells Nathanael, you are the Son of God if you knew that. I think that's a great reading of the Gospel according to John in chapter 1, the meeting of Jesus and Nathanael. Well, back we go now to our story in Genesis. So, Jacob continued on his journey. I'm now in Genesis 29. And then, and on his journey, he came to the land of the eastern peoples. And there he saw a well in a field with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. Now the stone over the mouth of the well was very large. And when the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. They, then they would return and the, uh, the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. And Jacob said to the shepherds, Hello, my brothers, where are you from? Jacob's a total stranger. He doesn't know these guys. But Jacob pushes himself right into the midst of them. Hey, my brothers, yo, where are you all from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, Do you know a man named Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yeah, we know him, they answered. And Jacob asked, Is he well? Yes. Oh, and by the way, here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. Look, he said to the shepherds, the sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. He wants to get rid of the shepherds. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone's been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we'll water the sheep. Well, while he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And when Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Now that stone is a big, heavy stone, taking multiple shepherds to move it. But Jacob rolled up his sleeves, puffed out his chest, lifted that stone off the well, and watered the sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. So after this display of strength, after this generosity of, of watering the sheep, he looked at Rachel, who is indeed a very beautiful woman, And he kissed her. I bet she stood dumbfounded. And then he began to weep. <laughs> he had told Rachel he was a relative of her father, the son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. And as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him because he knew 
that Jacob was a very wealthy man. And Laban, huh, he's interested in wealth. He embraced, he embraced him, he kissed him, he brought him into his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. And then Laban said to him, you, my boy, are my own flesh and blood. So Jacob is taken into the home, given sumptuous hospitality, exactly what should happen. But there are other motives at work here with Uncle Laban. And just wait until you learn what they are.